The sales robots have taken over, and they're decimating deals left and right, destroying them right in their tracks. On the AI for Sales podcast, our mission is to empower everyday sellers to embrace AI superpowers to build new bridges and crush quota. Dr. Joel Abon said it best in the AI for Sales book, in sales, time kills deals. In AI for Sales, AI kills time. Join our hosts as we learn from the C-suite of the world's fastest growing companies about how you can leverage AI today to transform your sales revenue engine while being the best version of you. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister, and I'm your host of the AI for Sales podcast. I'm here with Brent Keltner today from beautiful Boston, where it's approximately 6 p.m. on the East Coast time at the time of this recording. And um, for those of you who aren't familiar with this background, this is my new office, so I'm happy to be here. Brent, thanks for being here today. I'm looking forward to digging in. Brent is with Winalytics. He's the president and founder, and he's been doing this for seven years, and I'm sure probably a lot more before that, but uh, I'm happy to dig in and looking forward to having you on the show. Yeah, Chad, thanks for, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Well, AI is a hot topic. I was just on a podcast this morning, and they were asking about what's going to happen, and and uh, if you look at the stock market in the last week or two, you're seeing a little bit of red. And usually when things, when, when the economy starts to turn, uh, things change, uh, people make changes. And I think that's where automation and AI and, and paying attention to the details and the science of sales versus the art of sales start to come into play more more often. So before we get into all of the guts of that, I like to help our audience connect to you, Brent. And I like to ask the question, what was your thing when you were younger? Were you always in Boston? What did you love to do when you were a kid? I grew up in um, California, uh, in Davis, California. And what I loved to do as a kid, more than anything, was play sandlot football. I was convinced when I was 10 that I was going to be an NFL linebacker. You and about a million other people in America <laughs> and all over the world. Yeah, that's excellent. I didn't get big enough to be an NFL linebacker, but I did find myself drawn to sports like wrestling and rugby and uh, marathon training. So there was something in those really intense physical sports I was drawn to. What do you think? I heard the word intense jump out just there at the end. What do you think is the thread between what you love to do then and now? I, I love our listeners. If they're in a role and they're just like, oh, it's stressful or I don't like it. Why am I here? If they can connect the dots between, you know, you're obviously where you're meant to be right now. How, what do you think is the common thread from then to now that caused you to love what you're doing right now? <laughs> you know, my mother literally when I about about the age of 10, got me this uh, Peanuts um, cartoon that she hung in my room that just said, why, why, why? Wow. Because I would always ask her, why? Why do we have to do that? Why? So the common thread was probably I asked a lot of questions, both because I was curious and because I wanted to get my way. Hmm. <laughs> wow. You know, Dave Curlin from Boston area Curlin and Associates, Objective Management Group, he has two companies, and he plays a video that's about 20 minutes, and it's this comedian and this little girl sitting across the table from her dad, and she just asked why at least 50 times. 
And at the end, he's like, well, you want to be, you want me to tell you why? Cause we smoked too much marijuana that night. My mom and I, your mom and I got pregnant, you know, and he just finally admitted it all at the end, but it was so funny to get to that point. So <laughs> curiosity is definitely a, a, a important thing. So if you thought, if you think of your 10 year old self and he comes in the room and knocks on your door and says, Hey, Brent, good to see you again. Do you think he would say, you know, what would he say about your, uh, lot in life, where you're sitting, what you're doing, you know, would he say, yeah, this is exactly what I expected. Or what do you think he would say? Not, not exactly. No, not what he, not ex what I think expected at all. I mean, I grew up in a really academic household. My dad is an academic medicine. My mom was a teacher. It's a very intense <laughs> place. Um, so I think that I ended up in business uh, is sort of surprising. Um, you know, we live a pretty faith-based existence and that's pretty different from where I grew up. So we'd probably find that surprising. I'm in a lot of turns in my life, um, but all for the positive. I mean, I think, as you said, I've ended up exactly where I should be, what I'm most passionate about. I was a history and math guy in college. I was good at both. Uh, and the great thing about go-to-market strategy is it's a beautiful blend of that art and science. That's right. Turn a phrase, but recognize a pattern. Turn a phrase, recognize a pattern. So for me, it's been really rewarding work. And, um, you know, we've kind of gotten to a critical mass of clients and, and proof of ourselves. And, and so it's, uh, you know, the business is starting to get fun. Wow, that's cool. All right, so that's that's really neat. Tell us a little bit about Winalytics because I have to assume there's some level of, like you said, the math part of it. You know, my son's a, a engineer in college at Colorado School of Mines, and so his mind thinks through a lot of the things that I work on much differently, and and it's it's just so neat to combine my creativity with his operational thinking. Um, tell us about how, how is AI used in, in your business and with your customers? Yeah, so I would say, I mean, we are a um, go-to-market and sales consultancy. Um, and we don't do big data. We do small data. Although a lot of our clients, we've had a number of uh, customers that are uh, AI companies. For us, we think about the at the core of what we do is pattern recognition. That's where the analytics, small data comes in. And the two kinds of pattern recognition we help our teams with a lot is, why did your customer buy from you? Right? It's just so many companies don't, they're focused on their product. They're not thinking about the simple, what was their problem? What was the solution? What was the result? And does that vary by buyer that you sell to and segment you sell into? So just helping them think about their different type of success stories and what that sell says about what outcomes they drive for their buyers can often be quite helpful. The other type of pattern recognition is, look, you don't have to get to more than a handful of sales team members or prospectors or account managers before you have a top performer. And getting good, and this is a lot of work we do, is just write down your playbook on, you know, what do your top performers do that's different? Mm -hmm. And then make it available to all the rest of your team. 
um, that's, you know, just that simple pattern recognition, those two types of pattern recognition can just make a huge difference in a growth trajectory. I love that. I've been very much on patterns for the last year. I'm just thinking everything in life is about a pattern. You either create a good one or you create a bad one. And and you're right, going to the key player. Um, if I think back to CSO Insights, which was bought by MHI Global, Miller Hyman, and I, I think they rolled into somebody else now, but CSO used to talk about the average selling time of a seller might be 32% or something. Um, I, I'm curious, based on the companies you work with and some of the, the data that you look at, I would think if you've got a top performer at a high close rate, if you could give them some of that time back or make sure they're spending, instead of 32% of their time on sales calls, 45%, that would have a massive impact on sales uptick. Um, so I guess that's part one. You, you, I'm seeing you nod your head. And then part two is... Um, the AI, what I'm most excited about is that AI gives salespeople the ability to give that time back because AI can handle the low value work that's repetitive and mind numbing for most um, and, and just give that back to the seller. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're um, 100 percent like what a seller spend their time on. Um, often it's searching for stuff, right? Uh, to follow up on a sales conversation, like, okay, I got to go find the right collateral or the right success story or the right case study, or I got to write it, right? And so I think to the extent that, you know, uh, AI can help with, A, just transcribing calls and recognizing the patterns in calls, and we've seen that in the gongs and the chorus AIs and, and all of that. Uh, but B, just kind of getting better at lo locating resources because they're better tagged yeah. to key words or whatever, or win themes or segment patterns or buyer personas. Uh, now you sort of dramatically reduce the amount of time it takes to follow up on a, you know, a high quality call. Yeah. Uh, just the administrative time uh, on that. If you think about top of funnel, middle, middle, bottom, um, where do you think the biggest gains are uh, in in the data and the customers that you look at? You know, there's opening, there's closing, there's demos, discovery. I mean, there's so many different parts of the cycle. It, does it vary? Yeah, by to me, industry? it's 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 all early funnel. It's honestly all early funnel connecting your prospecting and your first calls more effectively to dollars coming out the other side because the volume is all early on um, and the better just when we've done data analytics for our you know companies, you can see that sometimes uh, I'm thinking of a, a mainstay uh, that is a conversational AI product for uh, colleges and universities to help with applicant yield, the people that are admitted, getting them there and keeping them through the summer and keeping them through the first year. Um, when we looked at some of their data, you know, if they had a director or below, 7% first call to close rate. Whereas opposed, if it's an associate VP or higher, 22%. So three times difference. So 
data analytics or AI that can help you get to your ideal buyer quicker and recognize that pattern. And there are more and more companies, I think, as you know, that are using AI to think about lookalike uh, buyers, Yeah. right? So give me your top 50 buyers or give me your top 20 and based on their industry, based on their size, based on some maybe attributes of their leadership team or the background of their leadership teams, mining the web to then come up with your best lookalike companies. To me, that strikes me as a powerful application of AI, narrowing from the universe of everybody you could go after, getting much more quickly to who's closest to my ideal buyer. Let me pause there because what I heard you say, if I heard correctly, was in this customer, if it's AVP or higher as the buyer, then the close rate was 22%. If it was director and under, it was 70%. And so I think that's counterintuitive. 7%. 7 Okay, got it. Because what I was thinking you were going with is I'm working with a customer right now who believes that selling at manager and director level will impact in a positive way their conversion rates because it's a new technology and it's being brought in from the bottom up. But that kind of goes counter to what most of my career has been of starting high and going and then moving down. But I, I believe that it's not a one size fits all. And that's why it's No, they, look, they, they were, um, the, the lesson was exactly the same. We got to start high. If we start high and then get pushed down the director, much higher close than the director having to fight up. Um, but I, you know, I think the currently what, what we see more and more of is people disaggregating value, right? So I think of Aginity, which start, which is a collaborative analytics platform, start with a freemium model to get the user hooked. Once the user is hooked and you got five users in a group, go to their manager to get a closed sale. Once you got a couple of data analytic managers, go to the VP of analytics, hey, why don't we roll this out broader? So I think that's a you know, very common approach now is that you kind of take out the user uh, from having to buy a lower person. You use them as more of a the reference value to sell forward. Yeah, that's interesting. I've tested a little bit of selling at cost to individual users or slightly cost plus 10% or something. And the case study is too young to be able to tell you if it worked or not. But uh it feels like it is because there's some very good company names that that we're in that we wouldn't have otherwise been in. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, someone asked me recently, what are you seeing in artificial intelligence and sales that's majorly disruptive and changing? And to, to your point, Chorus and Gong are the first two that come to mind. And, and, and then for the last year or two, I just can't think of anything that's massively a game changer. Uh, have you seen anything on the East Coast that's a game changer in AI? Well, well I think of, so I was just looking up Fred Madrigan is a guy I know from um, Stanford is now at a company called Lead Crunch AI. Okay. Um, and they are this these folks that are now helping you find lookalike companies using AI so you can better tailor your ideal buyer profile. I think that's potentially is a game changer because it both helps you locate the right companies for a net new motion, but it also helps you with an expansion motion by locating the right buyers. Yeah. And I know, you, you know, Zoom, I don't know if you've, 
I've helped a couple of clients recently buy different packages from them. You know, they're getting better and better at firmographics and, um, you know, buying triggers. Yeah. Right. So they can tell you different um, kind of by industry what what the different purchases that might um, or different platforms, right, that people are buying. So to go back to Aginity, if somebody had just bought Redshift, which was one of the leading platforms they integrated with, pretty good sign that, um, you know, they they might be ready for a conversation. So I think on that front of the funnel stuff, uh, recognizing lookalike buyers, recognizing buying trigger events, um, I do think that that's where, you know, scraping the web and kind of all the ways we can pull together information could be, uh, you know, a next wave of just boosting prospecting productivity, getting you focused on the right place quicker. Yeah, got it. Well, I would love to say that we're the disruptive one of the century, but uh, we bought this little company that was about a year and a half ago now that takes those people and then helps you identify who knows the target. And then you go to the influencer. Hey, Brent, I see you know this person. Would you mind making an intro? And it it's really been kind of an amazing tech. It's one of those where you just don't want to get those tools in everybody's hands or else it stops working. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I um, I heard a technology and a similar along similar lines not too long ago that basically looked for transitioners. Oh yes, people that had transitioned from a client company to another company uh, that then you know presumably warm leads. Wow. We called that the job hopper program when I was vice president of sales and marketing at Connect and Sell, but it was a very manual and tedious process. And I tried to backtrace it to figure out who built it. I found the person and we could not figure out how to duplicate it because some of the tools have changed. So if there's a tech out there to, to do that, man, that's huge for, for the Zoom videos of the world, the ring centrals. of These are people who are moving around all the time. And if you can chase them down to their new employer. That's huge. Yeah. Well, if you think of it, send it to me and I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> I, I will. I will. If it, if I can track it down. Yeah, there's, there's some neat tech. Well, that's excellent. What about the biggest question? And this is kind of the, the wrap up question. And that is, does AI replace sales professionals? It, it's a kind of broad statement, um, but I always get a lot of really interesting perspectives here. So, what are your high-level thoughts on that question? No. And why not? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I remember a, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a while. Um, and it's probably 15 years ago, the prediction was 80% of salespeople were going to be out of, you know, out of business in 10 years or whatever. Um, and I honestly think the opposite is happening like good selling skills have become a lot more important. Uh, I don't, and you're never going to replace it or automate it. It's now much more about a conversation. There's not a predictive algorithm. So no, I, I don't think salespeople ever go away. I think the opportunity is what you just, you started with this idea of 32% of our time selling. Mm -hmm. The rest is building and cleaning lists, doing administrative work, right? In meetings, which we have to go to. So 
to the extent that AI can automate a lot of those non-value-added tasks to take your top performer from 32% to 45% of time on task, that's a huge win. That's a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I had my first cold call today from a bot, I, I have to say. I mean, and it sounded okay, but it was too much like Alexa. It says, hello, is this chat? And it had an uptick at the end. So it was obviously a very well-trained bot of how to pronounce things. But I saw a Florida number. It, it tagged potential spam. So that means that's a bad sign right out of the get-go. I hung up. And then I, I waited and listened the second time. Because I'm not going to verify. Because now I'm going to be on the spam list forever. So I just waited. And it said goodbye. And then finally another one came in from New York. So Florida, Florida, 10 minutes later, New York. And, and that experience of burning three cold calls by a bot, man, certainly cold calls aren't going to be replaced anytime soon. So you didn't indulge it. You didn't hit any touchdown. And I thought, I mean, I really, I was ready to push the trigger and just feel what happens <laughs> when I talk to the bot. But I, I who knows what would have happened. You, you were smart. You probably never would have, the phone never would have stopped ringing. Yeah, that's my, that was my biggest fear. So this is well, where curiosity is a double-edged sword. You know, the why, like clicking on that probably would have gotten me in a world of hurt. You had a better <laughs> response. Why, why, why? So um, let's do the bonus question. Because you're working with so many people on analytics as it relates to their wins and close ratios and things, is there a skill or two? And I, I, that's what triggered me, right, is the curiosity skill seems to be a big one. But And grit. And there's so many different things that could result in someone being extremely successful. Is there something that you're finding that's general across sales or if I think of Trish Bertuzzi, another Bostonite who's amazing, she would say it varies so widely, you know, stop. <laughs> but have you seen anything that's a, a general statement across sales of skills that are? Yeah, I, I think there's one skill that makes a dramatic difference that almost all sales professionals can get better at. Um, and that's it's a qualifying skill. And it's just at the end of the meeting, asking your buyer to do stuff. Mm. Love it. Yeah. Homework. Will they schedule a meeting? Will they bring others? And it can vary by, you know, where you are in the conversation. But what I've found is that folks that do that, you know, they get a 30, I mean, they often close at a 30, 35% higher rate. Mm -hmm. And the reason is there are three things. I mean, they're basically asking the person, should we continue? So you're just, you're finding people that are actually motivated to buy. And you, to your point about time, you spend time on the deals that can close. Rather than chasing everything, you spend time on the deals that actually can be pushed forward and closed. So it's yes. one skill that I honestly encourage everybody just to practice. Are you asking for, asking your buyers to do the right things? Wow. Yeah. I think back to at least two or three calls today. And my MO is usually, all right, we, we talked. And I, I'm not an, I'll send a recap email, but I'm not going to aggressively end post it a week from now and 10 days from now. My thought is, if you're, if you're going to buy, then we sh the magic happened in that 30-minute window. <laughs> like, call me back or not. But I love the fact of saying, hey, here's what I recommend that you do as a next step. And then shoot me an email in the next 48 hours with this stat. And then I'll tell, and then, right, and I could make it. If you do that, 
then I'll tell you how much money you could drive by putting in AI for sales or something like that. That's a really solid piece of advice. That's exactly right. Because if you think about Chad, what percentage are not either in the yes or no, yeah. but in the influenceable. Yeah. Yeses are great. Noes are okay. Maybes will kill you is the. Uh, Maybes will kill you. That's it. We want the people that filter out the maybes. That is the skill that you want to focus on. I like it. Yeah. I think there's a song. Don't call me maybe. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Um, sales trainers too. That's a good one. Um, I, there's been a lot of changes over the years with the different trainers that come in and out. Um, Skip Miller has been the one that I've known for 30 years, right? He was one of my first sales trainers that I had. And that was, it's been great. He was amazing. I feel like the newest kind of up and comer kid is out of Colorado. And, and I wouldn't say up and comer, Keenan, who sells gap selling. And it's, it's bringing back a lot of the old school, how big's the gap and what's the value of solving it and the pain of not. But he does it in such a storyful way that, you know, and he's not afraid to grab you by the throat and pin you against the wall and say, you're messing this up, you know. Uh, have you have you ran have you ran into what are your top favorite couple of trainers right now? Yeah, Keenan, I saw. Uh, I don't know if you know Lori Richardson. Sure. Uh, she sells conference, but she invited me to come out uh, to see Keenan was on tour with. I should remember the name of the woman from um, who organized that tour. Yeah, the calling script thing. Uh, flip the script, right? Flip the script. Yeah, it was flip yes. the script. And who was the uh, who was the main organizer? I know who you're talking about. She was with Chorus, I think, and then went to Gong or vice versa, one of the two. And and now I'm not. But sure. anyway, I actually saw him, and and yeah, Keenan was. They were both amazing on stage. Um, and gap selling, uh, I think, is. I mean, we we talk a lot about gap questions. Yeah. Um, I think the one thing that the value of it is actually the more important. What's the buyer success statement? Yeah. Like, how do you help them envision a more powerful um, future? Yeah. I mean, the question when he talks about the pill and he says, all right, you've got a headache. And if I sell you this white pill, how much would you pay? The headache will go away instantly. It's like a ah, hundred bucks. Okay, cool. Well, now, and then he just progresses through the story. And it's like, by the end, it's like, okay, now this person's 97 year old. They're probably not going to make it much longer. And if they take the pill, so what? But now the grandchild is about to get married and it'll prolong the 97 year old's life by six months. And he gets to see the, the, the grandchild get married. Huh. I'll pay you a million dollars for that pill. You know, and it's just, if you really understand the specifics and the buyer often doesn't even know how deep the pain chain goes. And it's, and it's a good salesperson. And that's what I think part of the value of AI is it forces us to become better thinkers and to invest time in these kinds of things versus, hey, you first go to a LinkedIn group, but then you do this, all the monotony stuff. Man, let's put that in a computer and let, some, let the computer finish that work. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like, I, I'm, I'm totally aligned with the spirit of that. Love it. Brent Keltner, amazing conversation. Seven years at Winalytics. If you're looking to run analysis of your sales team, conversion rates, how do we close more business 
there's a lot hiding in the data. And as he called it, the not the big data analysis, go go to someone else that looks at millions of, of data points. Um, they're going to look at small data and they're going to tell you the changes that can make your sales team, uh, your sales grow. And man, one degree change, just like Tiger Woods. I remember when you could move six strokes in a year, you're worth millions and millions of dollars. If you're six strokes under in a year, you've just lost millions of dollars compared to the next one. And same thing holds true in sales. So. Brent Keltner, thanks everybody for listening today to another AI for Sales podcast. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, you made it this far in your Cheers. AI for Sales journey. Want to augment your sales growth? First, leave us a review and then visit www.scalex.ai to claim your free strategy session today.